when you don't have systems, you're managing people. Uh, and so then you get into finger wagging on, well, you didn't do the right thing or you should have been better. Whereas when you have a system in place, then you're managing the system. And so both the manager and the, you know, sort of executioner or the technician are both working together on making an optimal system. So it brings a lot of peace of mind to the organization. And then they can together collaboratively say, did we achieve our goals? No. Well, did we follow the system? Yes. Okay. So what's broken about the system that we didn't achieve our goal? And it empowers people to do their own best work rather than falling into the trap of micromanagement or uh, any of the other distractions that uh, can really sort of create a, a friction loaded dynamic. Every SaaS company plays for high stakes, but what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists, and we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Ready to unlock the true power of marketing strategy? In this theme, we'll explore the world of cutting-edge marketing strategies and tactics that are shaking up the SaaS industry. We'll share insights on testing new tactics and uncover the latest developments from digital landscape giants like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll also explore how AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape and transforming marketing tactics. So grab your headphones and get ready for a marketing strategy masterclass with Paris Talks Marketing. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Mark Osborne. Mark was recognized by Ad Age Magazine as a marketing technology trailblazer in 2017. And he is a number one bestselling author on B2B marketing and sales. Mark brings decades of experience with integrated sales, marketing, and customer success for early stage SaaS, tech, and B2B slash professional services firms. Mark has delivered tens of millions of dollars in revenue for his clients, offering double revenues and pipeline in 90 days through his focus on building revenue systems that emphasize strategic building blocks of competitive advantage. He's the founder of Modern Revenue Strategies, which offers a 10x ROI B2B growth guarantee. If you don't see a 10x return on your investment within six months, he will give you your money back. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Paris. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. And I want to start off with really the, the end of your bio there, which is the 10x guarantee. I hadn't planned to start this way, but <laughs> I think that people that are hearing this, is a very, it's a very bold claim and a lot of marketers really refuse to make guarantees That's right. because of all the uncontrollable elements that are out there. So you've, you've actually made a bold statement here, not just any guarantee, but a 10x return on investment. How can you be so confident that you can return 10x in, in just six months? Sure. Well, for starters, you know, I, I only work with people I can help. And so I, I have sort of that, that guiding principle, which means that I can be much more selective about who I work with, but also it means that I know I can make an impact. And I'll, I spend, you know, 90 minutes, two hours with people just sort of understanding their business, understanding their current challenges, thinking through how, how am I really going to make an impact before I, I ever make a proposal. Uh, and so it's that time to, you know, really understand their business that allows me to know I can make that impact. Uh, and then the other thing too, is I've really disciplined uh, and have really focused my practice on not sort of chasing a hack, uh, not trying to game an algorithm, but instead thinking about building systems, systems that can be optimized, uh, and really defining like a, you know, a critical customer flow, 
uh, and finding all of those opportunities to improve the system. And all of those small changes along the way have really compounding impacts uh, so mm -hmm. that, you know, a small change at the beginning can make massive changes at the end. And, and I also really approach business through or the marketing, sales, customer success part of the business through three different systems. There's the sort of attraction systems of, you know, bringing in more of the right prospects. There's the acceleration systems of moving them through the pipeline faster for larger deal sizes. Uh, and then there's the activation systems where you get, you know, larger renewals on a faster timetable, more referrals, more testimonials. And when you combine all of those things together, it, it's really hard not to make a 10% impact uh, mm -hmm. in a business, particularly if, you know, they really need some of those systems in place. Yeah. When, when you're doing a discovery call with a prospect, what types of questions do you ask that help you determine your potential ability to 10x? I mean, what, what, what are you looking for? You're, you're probably seeing that they have a, either the CRM is a total mess or you can immediately see that the leads are crap. Maybe it's all those things. But what are you looking for? How are you probing? What questions are you asking to determine whether or not you can move these company 10x? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Now, it's important to point out, I'm not guaranteeing they're going to achieve 10x growth. I'm guaranteeing they're going to get a 10x ROI on their investment with me. Uh, okay. So, but certainly notable. If anyone that can uh, claim to 10x your, your business in six months, uh, you might want to run away from them. But so, you know, part of it comes to building the business case. So remember, I talked about those three different systems, the attraction systems, the acceleration systems, the activation systems. Mm -hmm. The first thing that I do is work with the company to identify where is our biggest opportunity for a return. Uh, and oftentimes, like maybe they don't have the staff that they would need to you know, work on these systems or those systems, and they're trying to hire for that today. Well, rather than focus there, let's focus on where we can make an impact. Uh, that you'll sort of realize in your business within the next 90 days. Uh, and so that's part of uh, sort of that building a business case. And so it's a lot of discovery. A lot of it is, you know, doing an audit. I do a, a complete audit of their current marketing systems to understand, like, where are their gaps? It's, you know, it's surprising, although, and, and I know your agency spends a lot of time in data and, and, and building analytical models for your customers, but it's still surprising to me how, you know, little documentation exists within a lot of marketing functions uh, and how a lot of it is, well, what do we do now? And there's, there's a little bit of a, of a gut sense with, within sort of marketing. Yeah. There's a lot of flying, flying by the seat of your pants. That's right. A surprising amount considering yeah. how important it is fundamentally to the strategic approach of the company, uh, as well as, you know, their growth, which is really the lifeblood of the business. So just starting to document those things and build out those systems really brings into sharp relief areas to focus and areas to highlight. The, the other benefit of, you know, focusing on systems is not only this, you know, opportunity to have real confidence that you're going to see a, a return on the investment of time and, and you know, money, but also it, it improves the life of the people working within that system. When, when you don't have systems, you're managing people. Uh, and so then you get into finger wagging on, well, you didn't do the right thing or you should have been better. Whereas when you have a system in place, then you're managing the system. And so both the manager and the, you know, sort of executioner or the technician are both working together on making an optimal system. So it brings a lot of peace of mind to the organization. And then they can together collaboratively say, did we achieve our goals? No. Well, did we follow the system? Yes. Okay. So what's broken about the system that we didn't achieve our goal? And it empowers people to do their own best work rather than 
falling into the trap of micromanagement or uh, any of the other distractions that uh, can really sort of create a, a, a friction loaded dynamic, particularly between marketing and sales or sales and customer success. Yeah. Could you give me some examples of a, of a revenue system that you've helped the company build or improve upon? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the thing that companies often struggle with is, you know, how do we sort of grow our existing client base? And they have sort of the leaky bucket syndrome where they're bringing in new clients every month. They've been 100% focused on that since their early stages of growth, but they haven't focused on, you know, sort of growing existing accounts. And some of it is, is that they don't understand the power dynamic that they have with existing clients. There is a cost, a switching cost that clients have to actually go out. They don't have all the power. Uh, and so just sort of building a framework of explaining to clients, we're going to ask for a renewal when, when we deliver value. And so managing that expectation up front. And every year there is going to be a price increase because the world gets more expensive. And if we are going to have the best in class uh, people working on your solutions, if we're going to have best in class technology infrastructure, it's going to get more expensive for us to service you. Uh, and so as a result, you should expect to, you know, an in increase in sort of that baseline cost, but you know, we're going to be constantly getting better at growing your business. Once you start to set those expectations up front, then those renewal conversations aren't like this, you know, nightmare scenario on the night before the deadline uh, of the contract expires and, and all those things, but you set that expectation up front and then you, you know, ask for renewals early and often, uh, and you ask for increases early and often. And then you think of all of the deal elements with the time of the contract, the hours, the you know, service level agreements, all of those things. If you think about those as, you know, sort of pieces on a chessboard that you can move around, uh, then you can constantly be sort of improving your position with your uh, clients while at the same time, not catching them off guard or even doing something that, you know, feels egregious or aggressive towards them. So just putting systems in place that say, okay, we're going to deliver first value on this day. We're going to present a plan for how we're going to grow together after that first value on that day, rather than, well, everything's just focused on, let, let's get this first deliverable out the door. Then we'll figure out what we're going to do with this account for the rest of its life. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we build sort of like an account intelligence profile from the very first time we accept a lead from, you know, marketing into the sales pipeline and into sort of mm -hmm. those systems. And that lives with that account through its life so that it's constantly being updated. And when sales hands it off to customer success, there's already a growth plan for the next two years. And so because sales is really good about uncovering customer needs, that's part of the process of discovery. But usually it's part of the sales process. You prioritize one need that they're going to tackle today. That's their you know, big burning issue. And so when you, you know, document that one issue for today, but then issue two, three, four, that were priorities, but not the top priority. When you build that into a growth plan for the account over the next two years, now customer mm -hmm. success has a clear path to growing them. And the, the customer has a clear path for getting a increasing value uh, and yeah. constantly growing. Getting The other thing set. that I, I really like about having that is it's really like a, a long-term roadmap that you can constantly keep referring back to. So you can be a year into the relationship and you can say, this was the plan that we agreed to. We should, at this point in our journey, we should be here. We should have achieved this and we, we have achieved it. Therefore, I mean, well, one, one part of, of that is justifying a price increase, but um, also just making sure that you're retaining that client and you're clearly demonstrating uh, the value and, and you're delivering on a promise 
that it's absolutely right up, up front. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's talk about lead quality. Yeah. This is a big deal because what we see with a lot of our clients, most of the people that our teams work with are marketing folks. Yeah. Most of the KPIs that they have are to deliver a certain volume of leads within a given budget. That's and right. you need to hit those numbers. If you don't hit the numbers, chance that your budget will get cut and, and maybe it gets cut anyway in this current environment. But so it's really about quantity, quantity, quantity and hitting right. your numbers. Now, what happens uh, often is that then sales receives those leads and they, the feedback is, well, these are not great leads. That's right. This is a classic problem when you have a siloed organization and marketing is incentivized for lead volumes and sales is, is about building sales pipeline. I presume you see this a lot, but how can we help companies, both of us, solve this problem and how do we get marketers to focus more on, on lead quality? Yeah, so all great points, Paris. And, and in fact, so the, the book that I released earlier this year is Are Your Leads Killing Your Business? And, and in fact, uh, I'm going to give a, a free copy of this book to the first 50 people that go to modernrevenuestrategies.com slash free download. Uh, they awesome. can get uh, a copy of the book for free. But in, in the book, I talk about how this sort of obsession with quantity can actually create a death spiral for your business. Um, and part of the way that does that, and so we'll talk about problems and solutions. Part of the way it does that is when you're focused on quantity, you're not able to tease out those best opportunities. Uh, and so then you don't give those best opportunities the attention that they deserve uh, and your competitors do. And so they take the best customers out of the marketplace right away. Mm -hmm. um, so, so now you're dealing with a smaller marketplace uh, because you're not giving those you know, highest quality opportunities what they deserve. Uh, and then those lower quality opportunities do two things. One, they require real customization because they're, they're difficult customers. And so they want you to do things different than the way you do it because they don't really connect with your sort of product and buying vision. And so, you know, they're sort of focused on the way they want it done, not necessarily the right way. And that distracts you from building the products and solutions that the market really wants and needs. So that pulls yeah. you even further behind your competition. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, what makes them even worse is they don't renew, they don't uh, expand because they never really believed in the solution to begin with. And so this creates this death spiral of the leads we are bringing in are actually like taking longer to serve. They are whittling down on our margins and then they're distracting us from our core sort of business. And that creates a death spiral in within the organization. So that's the problem. How do we, how do we solve that? Uh, and you hit on one uh, very astutely, Paris, which is this silo concept. And it's hard for companies to do, but we see, again, some 10x improvements from, you know, breaking down those silos and having what we call a revenue scorecard that has KPIs um, that both marketing, sales, and even customer success are all held accountable for. And so there's a, a system that connects all three of these functions within the organization. Now, maybe an individual in marketing, their sort of performance scorecard is weighted against some KPIs that are more marketing focused and maybe customer success the same way. But if they have a scorecard that uh, includes all of their KPIs and those KPIs are real business outcomes, not vanity things like volume of leads, uh, yeah. then you, we, you get a lot more alignment. The other thing that happens uh, when you have this sort of created scorecard is you could start to optimize the system because you can get the customer success folks that know 
what really resonates with customers and leads to more uh, expansion and more renewals to talk about what really matters. And that's some real market intel that maybe the marketing team doesn't hear a lot. And so that sort of defining the ideal customer and, and what the real use cases are and those real value propositions in a team where marketing and sales learns from customer success, then you start to really uncover ways to optimize this system uh, and optimize this process. Likewise, sales gets the benefit of marketing's understanding of maybe some technology that exists or some creative ways to create content that can impact the sales process, that can impact the renewal and upsell process for customer success. Bringing all of these different skill sets and points of view together creates this alignment that, that really makes an impact there yeah. and, and drives that focus on sort of quality throughout, quality that's going to grow the business, not just grow the top line. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think I'm always shocked at how many marketers we work with who don't even have access to the company's CRM. Right. And that tells me that there's no data being shared across the aisle. And I do think it starts also with data sharing. For and sure. One of the things that we implement a lot within Google ads is something called value-based bidding. Yeah. Value-based bidding is moving away from the older approach, which is focused on lead volume, which is target CPA, which is you basically telling Google, here's my budget. I need to get leads at this price and get me as many as you can. And, and there's really no quality control there at all. Google is, is focused on volume. But if you can connect CRM data, if you have uh, data that shows, all right, we have this many deals at opportunity stage with this much total value, and then they move to a, let's say, a contract stage, a negotiation stage, but all that data with the values can be flowed back to Google, and then you can bid on so-called value-based bidding, either maximize conversion value or target return on ad spend, yeah. which is then shifting Google's AI to focus on building sales pipeline because you're sharing that data and you're flowing it back into the marketing system. And when you share the data like that, I think that's one way to really get better alignment between marketing and sales. Even if you still don't have the same KPIs at the end of the day, I love this, the shared scorecard approach as well. But ultimately, I do think in SaaS companies, especially, if they want to grow and they want to build long-term value, and there's much more pressure now to do that rather than pure growth. But to, to demonstrate that you're getting the right customers, you're, you're bringing in the right leads and they're turning into high quality customers, then marketing should be focused on that. They should be focused on, on revenue and, and even LTV to the extent that it can be forecasted. That's right. So, I, um, I was listening to a, a previous version of one of your podcasts. I think it was you talking about the predicted lifetime value. Uh, yeah. that you calculate for customers and really, really genius, really great idea to use that as the outcome that Google is optimizing against rather than just that volume and yeah. really smart use of data there on your part. Yeah, thanks. I, I do think that's that's where everything is headed. And yep. first party data in general, first party data strategies are what we're going to be more and more driving marketing because that's right. third party cookies are going away next year. And, and Google has been postponing that for a few years, but the, the day of reckoning is really coming. Right. Well, digital marketers, I think, understand the function of a cookie, but in, in general, I think the marketing industry is not fully appreciating the impact that that's going to have when that, I mean, that's really been the driver. Third-party cookies has been what has been behind your ability to target people as they, as they go all around the web, on, in, in Chrome especially. Yep. And when that goes away, I mean, there's a massive loss of data and signal. 
And all of the data that companies are sitting on, their first-party data, needs to supplement that data loss. It has to fill the void. So the companies yeah. that are going to be the boldest about leveraging that data, their own data, I think they're going to be the early winners. And I think that's going to come about a year from now. And then in, maybe in 2025, a lot of stuff is going to be shaking out. I think the, the agency landscape is going to change too. I think agencies are going to need to have these types of data solutions, not just advertising management services, but real data solutions. We can take your data from your CRM, marketing, automation platform, maybe you even have a data warehouse or a CDP. Yep. And we can connect that data. We can activate that data for the benefit of the ad platforms to help you grow. So, uh, yeah, thank you for plugging uh, PLTV. It's been a, an uphill slog for us, but certainly believe still 100% in that concept. And I think it's time will come. Yeah. And I actually see, again, one of the benefits of systems and in a systems approach to marketing is it helps you uncover those gaps of, oh, we don't really have a, a system for our first party data or how to activate against that. Whereas... You know, some of the sort of consultants in the space or, or gurus are really just, you know, they're using the cookies that exist today to find, to try to game some algorithm or find some growth hack or chase some silver bullet uh, rather than sort of thinking through what, what are we going to need two years from now? Uh, and then how do we build a system that takes us there? Yeah. It's always like, there's a lot of things in life like this. You can either try to keep squeezing that lemon until you get the last drop out, or you can figure right. out that. If, I mean, you, you might actually, that's very short-term thinking, but maybe if you ride that wave till the very end, you can, you can do well up until the end. But if you're not prepared for what's coming, it's going to hit you hard. Well, and it's the, it's the age old debate of like, you know, demand generation versus demand capture and sort of lead capture. And, uh, you know, I liken it to picking all the apples off a tree without and refusing to water it. And then, you know, the next season you're like, why are there no apples? Well, because you didn't water it while you were picking the apples off. You have to be creating demand at the same time that you're harvesting the demand that exists, particularly as you rise in dominance within your category, because oftentimes sort of challenger brands or mid-tier brands, they're benefiting from the demand generation that's being done by the market leader for their niche. And so once they grow out of this, you know, sort of lower tier space, then they're like, well, where did all the demand go? Well, because you're now a leader in the market, you need to be creating that demand. But if you're doing it correctly, you're framing the world through your product and buying vision in such a way uh, that you're the only solution uh, that satisfies the need that you're generating, the demand that you're generating in the marketplace. But that, that requires some you know, really thoughtful approaches. Yep, absolutely. And that brings me to the next topic here, which is about the, well, you mentioned demand gen versus demand yeah. capture. I think demand generation gets postponed or gets pushed out a lot in some part because of this pressure for short-term growth that could be coming from C-level owners, founders, but also investors in SaaS companies. And now the environment that we're in, and I think everybody knows this in SaaS, is that the days of growth at any cost are over. And yeah. uh, there's much more pressure to grow efficiently. The, the pressure to grow is still there, but now there's a dual mandate to continue growing, but to do that with a lot less resources, which means in particular, less budget, less ad budget. And I'm seeing it with tons of clients and, and they're grasping for creative approaches here, but a lot of them have been reliant on advertising for so long that it's very hard to think outside of that, that box. Yeah. So how do you think, and what are some of the creative ways that you're seeing companies deal with this rock and a hard place situation? The pressure is still there to grow. You've still got to keep growing, but your ad budget has been slashed. And yeah. You've got to, you've got to figure it out. What, what are they doing? You got to do, got to do more with less, right? 
Well, so let me tell you about the time we, we baked a hundred cakes. Um, All right. So I was working with a, an ad tech company in the SaaS space and they were trying to do more with less. They were up against some VC-backed competitors who were way outspending them on all of the conferences, all of the sort of you know ad places that you would expect to be. And they couldn't keep up from an advertising perspective. And so they had to get more creative. And so what we did is we went and looked at the marketplace and we built a bunch of sort of two by two matrices of the different, you know, sort of criteria that drove decision-making within the marketplace to look at, well, where are all the different competitors and uh, within different, you know, sub-markets and different niches, where is their white space? And we actually discovered that all of the major competitors were uh, trying to take this solution straight to brands. It was an ad tech solution. They're trying to go straight to brands, straight to CMOs, but the ad agencies, which controlled huge budgets were being sort of left out of mm -hmm. their approach to the marketplace. Uh, and this company had sort of, you know, by default picked up a bunch of ad agencies because no one else was going after them. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a function of having more clients in the ad agency space, they had started to customize their solutions. So there was a real product market fit there mm -hmm. that they hadn't yet uh, sort of capitalized on. So we identified this white space in the market. We revamped all of our positioning uh, and sort of the strategy that we had to go there. And then we really took the time to build out that customer journey for the different personas or avatars, decision makers within the agency world to understand mm -hmm. their life. Uh, and if you've done much work uh, with ad agencies, you know that a lot of people work long hours. They don't get away. They don't get a chance to get away from their desk to, to get out and eat. And so food delivered to the office is often a, a really valuable thing and, and really stands out. So using that, we timed a press release. We had custom cakes made with the agency's logo on it. And we talked about how we're going to make you shine to your clients by being the technology solution that underpins your excellence. And so we're in the background. And we talked about how uh, in the press release, we talked about how our agency was, or our solution was specifically built for agencies and could specifically serve these agency problems and highlighted that, you know, you know, some of our competitors had been silly enough to talk about on earnings calls that all of the money is with the brands and we should go straight to brands and agencies are just there to get in our way. So we use some of their own uh, language against them. Timed that to go out and then a, a SDR called them within 15 minutes of the delivery of the cake and the release of the press release and generated significant revenues. We saw them actually double revenues within the space of just a few months going from that. Now, it costs some money to bake some cakes and to, you know, have them delivered and to have that SDR team. But we basically repurposed the money that they had been spending on. Well, all of our competitors are at this conference. We got to at least have a logo on the flyer. All of our competitors are, you know, doing you know, this or that. We got to at least have a presence. And so instead of being an also ran in five other places, we consolidated that took some really strategic thinking uh, about who the customer was, that ideal customer profile, some really strategic thinking about a differentiated positioning strategy uh, that both created demand while uh, capturing it uh, and then took to and went to market that way. And that's what really delivered a, you know, a much higher return on investment than they would have gotten through traditional you know, sort of ad avenues. Mm -hmm. That's a cool story. And what I really like is that you started with a deep examination of the positioning. Are we really, are we targeting the right audience? Are we, are we positioning ourselves well? And I see a lot of SaaS companies taking that for granted a lot of times that, that 
the positioning is what it's always been, and it's it's something right. that's not it's, it's never really up for debate. And as an that's agency, right. it's it's hard to bring that up because we we often feel like, well, it's not our place that's right. to tell you about your own product that maybe your product isn't positioned quite right. Uh, I had a conversation um, very recently with a SaaS company where. I, I was trying to convince them that the, the, your two biggest competitors, you, maybe you can reposition as an integrator with those guys as an add-on. Right. There's huge popularity and there's a lot, tons of brand search around these competitors. And I mean, it was a it was a tough conversation, but in the end, I think it got them really thinking that you know maybe maybe the right solution is to say that we can work side by side or in as a, an enhancement to this tool that you're already using instead of trying to convince people to give up on that tool and switch to our tool which is like giving up on IBM to switch to some unknown right. player. And that's a tough, that's a tough sell. Um, that is the tough sell. It's just very astute of you, Paris. And, and that's, you know, obviously why Hop Online does so well, but we work with a lot of agencies and agencies are sort of designed to do a specific thing. And it's not always to do that thinking that, that you bring to the table. And so that's, one of the places that we add a lot of value to our clients is if they you know, don't have the budget to bring in a full-time marketing executive, you know, maybe the CEO and the, the sales leader who are sort of leading marketing. And then they're like, well, let's bring in an agency and they'll do all that work for us. Mm -hmm. The agency is sort of like, well, how do we buy more ads? Uh, how do we make more ads? How do we, you know, sort of do some of those kind of motions? And a lot of agencies don't take the time to think through, well, what the real positioning? And that that's a lot of the value that we add in the equation uh, yeah. working with early stage companies. Yeah. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. And what's exciting about SaaS is that the ground is always shifting underneath our feet. And, right. and even, even in well-established categories like, I don't know, sales enablement or CRM or, I don't know, email marketing tools, there's always new developments and the lines between these categories are often blurry. And there's so many opportunities to shift your positioning. And, uh, and I think a lot of companies aren't, aren't doing that in a nimble way. But that is one of the fun things about, about SaaS, actually, and, and software in general, is sometimes you have category creators that are building something really exciting and blazing a trail. You have other guys that are, uh, as you said, challenger brands. They're trying to fight for a little bit of market share in the beginning and then eventually claw their way up into that leadership domain. Yeah, that's actually another thing that we have found to be really impactful as we think about that, you know, sort of positioning strategy and is really understanding for your niche, you know, your sub-market, are, where are they in sort of the maturity curve? Are they still, you know, chasing ideas or are they chasing solutions or are they chasing products? Because, you know, a lot of times, especially within the SaaS space, you've got a founder that's, that's really inventive and really likes to build new things. Uh, and so they build something new for an early market where ideas are, uh, you know, sort of the lead and, and they can sell that idea. But then as that market matures, people are looking more for products uh, that mm -hmm. deliver results. And then as it matures further, they're really looking for case studies and logos. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's how they're sort of defining the basis of competition. 
you have to sort of shift with that as the as the market changes. Uh, otherwise, you're sort of don't have match with what the market is looking for with how you're positioning yourself. Yeah. So, Mark, where do you think it's heading? Where this has been a tough year for SaaS. Yeah. Do you think we're kind of at the at the bottom at the trough here, and do you think it's going to start picking back up in terms of just investment and and uh, confidence overall growth? Yeah. So you probably saw the same things I did. Like just within the last week, a few uh, things have come out showing some indication that maybe we're at the low point and it's starting to to come back up for the sort of the SaaS industry. There's a few dynamics at play. Money is harder to get. Like interest rates are higher. So that's, that's just a, a yeah. fundamental dynamic. And so companies that were just growing and their business model was easy money, they're going through a correction. And that's some portion mm -hmm. of the marketplace, both from the consumers of products as well as the makers of SaaS products. And so that's going to have a, a dampening effect on, on the industry overall. It, and not only that, like easy money has been monetary policy for more than a decade. So there are yeah. businesses that like people have had whole careers based on the premise of easy money. And so mm -hmm. there are companies that are built differently, systems-based companies. And so those companies, I think, will thrive and adapt. And I, I do think that, you know, sort of the leaders at both the consumers of SaaS products as well as the makers of SaaS products, the, the smart ones are adapting to the new landscape of, you know, have to grow through really delivering value uh, and being profitable rather than just getting access to easy money, uh, which yeah. is what you talked about earlier, which is you know, now it's not grow at any cost. Now it's grow sort of appropriately. So I, I think that new reality is setting in. Leadership at companies has started to adapt to that. Uh, and so that new sort of market reality is starting to be baked into the, the underlying economics. And so I think we'll start mm -hmm. to see recovery from that. I think a lot of the sort of underlying fundamentals in, you know, the world marketplace are still pretty strong. It's the easy money thing that has had a dampening effect across. But I, again, I think that's starting to be incorporated into how uh, businesses operate. And as more and more businesses adapt to that, we're going to see some growth and recovery within the SaaS space. Yeah. Do you also think that we're going to see more consolidation in SaaS? Oh, yeah. or... that, that's what happens with markets all the time. Like, especially you go from easy money to to hard money, like there's, and that's just the nature of markets. Like you, you get a lot of competitors and that consolidates to number one or, mm -hmm. you know, the top three. And that's, a, we, we definitely live in a winner take all landscape. Seth Godin has a great book called The Dip where he, he talks about, you know, the difference between number one and number two is 80%. It's not a linear line between number 10 and number one. It's a, you know, it's a really steep curve. The difference between number one and number two can be 80%. The difference between number Two and number 10 is the rest of it. Like it, it yeah. is everything to be in that top three. And that's where consolidation comes from because new market, 10 people go to market with an idea. Hopefully they're differentiated and their product and buying vision enunciates a, a reason to exist. It's not just, well, us two. And they all carve out portions of the market based on those customers that agree with their vision of the future and agree with their approach to solving it. Uh, and then if they put all the other right systems in place, they'll capture more of that. They'll grow more of their client base. They'll bring in more of the right customers and, and then they'll have the, the equity and, and capital that they need to then, you know, acquire the market share that other uh, mm -hmm. smaller competitors have. That, that's just the, the cycle that uh, markets go through. Yeah. You keep repeating the theme about systems and I like that. And Another question popped into my head, which is that I think of systems often with, with big and mature companies. 
Yeah. Or could small scrappy startups also build systems? I mean, wh- how big do you have to be to, to be ready to build systems in a company? I mean, you're, you're ready today. Right. And, and the thing is there, that's in fact a myth uh, that exists is, well, if I'm going to build systems, they're going to be big and unwieldy and, you know, six Sigma and, you know, like yeah. McDonald's, you don't have to operate like McDonald's to benefit from systems. And, and in fact, like systems remove single person dependency. They help you be your best self every day. All of those benefits come, you know, the moment you have more than one person, even, and, and I actually believe even having one person, uh, like solopreneurs really benefit from systems because it helps them be their best selves. And I often will sort of coach solopreneurs of, you know, if you're doing multiple roles, define the role. And this is the beginning of a system, define the role, but then acknowledge you're wearing multiple hats. So Mm -hmm. this is the role of the marketer within my business. They have these responsibilities. They do these activities. This is how you know that that activity is done well. A simple checklist like that is a system. Uh, And then, you know, this is the role of the salesperson. I'm now putting that hat on. I have responsibility for the client from this point to this point. This is what it looks like to do that job well. These are the outcomes that you look for. Here's the your sort of evidence or artifacts that come out of doing that job well. Okay, now I'm in the customer success role. Here's the definition of that. Here are the activities that are done. Here are the artifacts that uh, come out of that and sort of measures of success. Those are systems. And then those can be optimized. When you put it down on paper, when you hire that first sales leader to double yourself as the CEO, then the two of you can work together on improving that system, which makes it easier for him to hire the second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you distill those systems, then marketing, sales, and customer success can work together on what does our acquisition system look like that, mar- that marketing owns and runs, but all three can collaborate. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't have to be this really cumbersome approach. It's it's really just sort of you know defining what is that critical path yeah. uh, and then you know, what are those key performance indicators? And then what are hypotheses on how we can improve those? That's a system. How are some of the companies that you work with documenting their systems? Well, can you talk about the importance of documenting the systems and in what kind of tools is that happening? And and then how do you ensure that people keep like living, they keep abiding by those those systems and they keep referring back to them and it doesn't get to be some kind of a book that gets stuck on the shelf that nobody ever looks at? Yeah. So for starters is don't put it in a book, put it in, you know, sort of living software. The best practice today, and in fact, there's a great book on this called Systemology, uh, where he talks about, you know, how to, how to integrate systems into your, into your culture and into your approach. And, uh, and he outlines a couple of things. So these certainly aren't first of their kind ideas, you know, E-Myth, the E-Myth Revisited, another great great book, book. building systems and, you know, working on your business instead of in your business. But the, you know, the, the, the two keys there are have project management software and then have, you know, sort of system documentation software link them together so that when, all right, so we're going to start the onboarding project for this customer. Well, what's the template for onboarding look like? That comes from your systems uh, management. And so now you've, you've got all the checklist of things that you need to do and the artifacts that uh, will be created along the way so that you know you did a good job. You've got some measure of uh, success. Like those things can be pretty easily done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's tons of specialized software out there to do it yeah. that makes it even easier. One of the the really big insights that he talks about in systemology that you know I expound to my clients a lot is it's a two person job. So you don't just put all of the weight on the the knowledge worker that that has all the systems between their ears. And this is something that we do for our clients a lot is you need sort of like a systems champion 
They can help you document them. Uh, and then that knowledge worker just sort of confirms that that's right. Rather than putting it all on them to, well, you got to document everything you do. You know, maybe you can set up some screen recording software, record them doing a particular task. You can interview them, document everything they do. Then you can have the systems champion put it together. And we do that for our clients as part of building out these red, different revenue systems. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they have it. You know, how do you create a culture of systems? That's a, a more challenging thing. And, and typically we see that that starts at the top. Um, yeah. But most company leaders, once they have a taste of it and see just how awesome it can be to have systems in place and to manage systems instead of managing people, they really get bit by the bug. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, top down is the way to go. And I think as an agency owner or a small business owner, we all dream about freeing ourselves from a business right. and systems is the, the key to do that. We have a phrase around here, systems set you free. Like, and, and, and it's, you know, free from worry about, well, where revenue is going to come from. You can look at the system and know that it's going to pay off mm -hmm. free from chasing growth hacks or silver bullets or gaming algorithms, because you can look at the system and know what you need to do next. Uh, and free from the, the conflict and friction that exists you know, between marketing and sales or sales yeah. and customer success, because you're working together on a system, not you know, dependent on a person. Yeah. And free time too. As That's right. If you don't want to be putting 60, 70, 80 hours a week into, into your business and you finally want to have some time to enjoy life outside of the business and not necessarily feel like you're a, you're a slave to the business. I mean, a lot of founders and owners, I've experienced that. Absolutely. You don't want to feel stuck and trapped in the business. That's right. Yeah. Uh, this has been fantastic. I think we probably should be wrapping up, but is there anything that I didn't ask you, Mark, that you feel would, would benefit our audience? Uh, no, I don't think so. So for anyone that didn't catch it the first time, modernrevenuestrategies.com slash free downloads. The first 50 folks that get there, I'll send you a copy of uh, the book. It includes a lot of calculators and templates so that you can start to put these revenue mm -hmm. systems in place in your business. Yeah. Uh, also, I'll follow up with an email sort of boot camp that's got videos, hours of videos to talk you through some of the key concepts about sort of like how to create a differentiated positioning strategy that will create demand while you're fulfilling it. Uh, and a lot of things there. And I'd, I'd love to hear from your listeners and how they enjoy it and how I can help. That's great. Well, Mark, thank you for spending the time with me. This has been a great conversation and you kind of inspired me to, to, to go back and take a look at some of our systems that might be getting a little rusty. And that's one of the things that I have been meaning to do this quarter. It's one of my OKRs this quarter, actually. There you go. So you have, you have lit a fire underneath me a little bit. And I hope that people that are listening also are thinking about their systems and either starting to build them, improve them or rebuild. And, uh, and it really is the key to, to scaling a business and, and as an owner to giving yourself a lot of freedom in the business and enjoying that more than feeling that you're stuck managing people every day. Well, thanks, Mark, and, and I hope we stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Paris. Talk to you soon. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.